0: Our reading this morning uh, is found in John 8, if you want to follow along. John eight forty seven through 59. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are, you not, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Patrick.
1: Uh, again, still, it's still good to be with you uh, as we continue in worship together. And I just want to take a moment again, just to, just to pray briefly as we hear from God's word, as we continue uh, to be submitting ourselves to his word and truth. So let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, what we simply and boldly pray for in this time is that your Holy Spirit would do a work within us that only the Holy Spirit can do. Would you, by your grace, enliven us to see, to behold, to know, and delight in the truth of your word? And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak truth in this time, and that we would see the Lord Jesus for who he is. And any false perceptions or caricatures we have of him would be cast aside, that we would see the pure, unadulterated truth of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. And so would this time be honoring to you, edifying to us, we pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. The, the question of who is Jesus is a simple question in some ways. But it's also a very profound question. Who is Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Who have we made him out to be? Or, or to use the language of the text that just comes right from John. Yes, exactly. Who is the as the religious leaders say of Jesus? Who have you made yourself out to be? And that question should be asked of us. Who do we make Jesus out to be? And while that sounds like a theological question, it is, it's no less than that it is also a very historical question. It's a cultural question. It's a sociological question because the the, the question of who Jesus is is not just a question that religious people ask. Jesus is too significant of a character in human history and culture to simply have no opinion of him. He cannot be of no consequence because of the magnitude of his impact. Jesus of Nazareth is arguably the most influential character in human history. There have been, um, I mean, no no more, no other person has had more books written, songs sung, paintings painted, communities created, speeches given, memes memed about anybody else other than Jesus. And so regardless of what you think about him theologically, you cannot have no opinion. There's a lot of negatives there, but you can't be um, uh, ambivalent or neutral about Jesus. And so even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you still have to reckon with who this man is, who he claimed to be, and what we do with him now. And so who is Jesus? Who do we say that he is? And to use the question of the text, who do we make Jesus out to be? And that's the question that I want us to explore together as we turn to our text in John chapter 8. We are in the Gospel of John. If you're new with us, we've been in a series called The Signs of Life, where we are exploring the ways in which Jesus is pointing us to the type of king that he is and the type of kingdom that he is bringing and has brought and will bring in fullness. And today we come to perhaps one of the most emphatic signs in the Gospels where Jesus reveals his identity and his divinity, not just as the Son of God, but as God himself. And so we will see who Jesus has made himself out to be, but the question still remains for us who do we make Jesus out to be? And so, with that said, if you have your Bibles open, whether paper or electronic, turn to John chapter 8. And I want us to walk through these ancient words together as we consider this question. But but like like every time we kind of come to the text, it's it's helpful to understand the context that's taking place here. And so, in this uh, point in John's gospel, Jesus has become more and more public in his ministry and in his identity, in declaring himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. But with this growing reputation and following that has come with Jesus, there is also alongside it this growing hostility and opposition amongst the religious leaders of the day who are growing more and more agitated to the point of wanting to put him to death. And in fact, they're so agitated by Jesus that they respond to him with this very biting question in verse 48. The Jews answered him, so are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Which is kind of, when I read that, it's almost funny. It's just like they're, they're kind of looking at Jesus, and he said all these things, and they basically respond by saying, so, like, just stop us if we're incorrect here, but you're the spawn of Satan, and then they hurl an ethnically charged insult upon him, calling him a Samaritan. They know he's not from Samaria, but they throw this title upon him as a way to mock him, because at this time, the Jews hated Samaritans, and vice versa. But the Jews saw the Samaritans as morally, uh, spiritually, and culturally inferior to the Jewish people. And so the Jewish leaders respond to Jesus, and they decide to resort to childish name calling because they know that they have run out of good responses to Jesus' claims of authority and his teaching. They, re- they recognize that like he is, he is in a level and, and uh, like way beyond them. And But rather than admit that he actually has authority and is a superior teacher, they just resort to childish name-calling as their method of argumentation. It, it's what's referred to as ad, ad hominem argumentation. Ad hominem argumentation is where somebody, and it's a a logical fallacy, but it's basically where someone refuses to now engage in the argument at hand around the topic and the issue and the subject matter, and instead chooses to attack the person's character as a way to try to discredit their position. It's otherwise known as the nuh-uh idiot form of argumentation. That that, that's usually and and like we see this still in our day. Like rather than actually engage the content of someone's views and opinions, we resort to trying to attack their character. And then this still happens today. So we see that the religious leaders doing this to Jesus, but we still see it happening today, where people in the church, but also outside the church, having critiques of Jesus and critiquing the Christian faith, not necessarily on the claims and on the historical information, although some people do that for sure, but purely upon trying to attack the character of Christians. And in so doing, they think that that discredits the entire Christian narrative. Now, now don't get me wrong, and don't hear what I'm not saying. There is good reason to critique Christians and the church when Christians act antithetical to the ways of Jesus. When Christians and people within the church act hypocritically, and when we see injustices within the church, we should call that out. Absolutely. But that does not discredit or render the entire Christian faith null and void. Again, hear, hear what I'm saying. We should absolutely call these things out. We should respond to and call out things like sexual abuse in the church, when we see abusive leadership in the church. But to conclude that the entire biblical storyline and that the existence of God and that the hope of the gospel of Jesus itself is completely false, based on those things, that's an illogical conclusion. And so, yes, yeah, so I want to be very clear. Yes, let hypocrisy in the church, it should, when we see it, it should lead us to be angry and to lament. Absolutely but do not let your anger and lament lead you away from Jesus. I want to say that again. Yes, let the hypocrisy that we see in us and around us in the church, let it lead us to anger and lament, righteous anger and lament, but not, do not let your anger and lament lead you away from Jesus. L- let me illustrate it this way. I just want to, I want to kind of hang on this point for a second. When I was in college. I remember uh, going to see one of my favorite bands in concert, Built to Spill. I don't know if there's any Built to Spill fans out there, but one of my favorite bands, I, and that, I didn't just make that name up, but I go to this concert, first time ever seeing them, and the, there was a delay to the start of the concert because of the venue. And so we're waiting outside for a long time for the concert to start. Finally, we're let into the venue like a couple hours later. Then it doesn't even start on time. Then we have to watch this terrible opening band, and so by the time Built to Spill takes the stage, everyone's just kind of agitated and annoyed at this point, so much so that some of the fans in the front rows, where they were complaining and kind of heckling the band in between songs as if it was their fault, and it kind of just ruined the entire experience and night. But here's my question to you. Do you think that I allowed the behavior of a few annoyed built-to-spill fans keep me from enjoying their music and buying their subsequent records and going to future concerts? No. Yes, it was an annoying experience because of these fans, but it didn't change my enjoyment and love for this band. But this is what happens often today in the church. That we look at the hypocrisy and the brokenness in the church, the abuse we see, the hypocritical lifestyles, and we rightly call it out. But we need not see that as grounds for walking away from Jesus. To use another example, when the Apostle Paul confronted Peter, who is the rock of the church that Jesus referred to, he confronts Peter in Galatians 2 for Peter's hypocritical and racist acts. And do you know what Paul does? Does Paul throw his arms up and like, this whole Christianity is a scam. Jesus is probably still rotting in his tomb. I'm going to change my name back to Saul and go beat up some Christians. Like, he doesn't do that. Instead, do you know what Paul says? He confronts Peter because Peter's actions were out of step with the gospel. And so in this moment, the reason why Paul doesn't just walk away from Jesus because of Peter's hypocrisy is because Paul was measuring Christians by the gospel and not the other way around. I'm going to say that one more time. The reason why Paul did not walk away from Jesus is because he was measuring Christians by the gospel and not the other way around. And we need to be very careful that we don't slip into that same slippery slope argument. We must measure Christians by the gospel not the other way around. And so so if you're a follower of Jesus, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't let the perversions of some Christians change the way that you view the person of Jesus. Don't respond to Jesus in the ways that the religious leaders did by simply resorting to mocking him and insulting him just because they didn't like him. But I also, we should be on guard that we don't respond in the other way the religious leaders, leaders did by trying to place Jesus into this uh, predetermined, defined box. The religious leaders, they, they, they tried to make Jesus out to be something that he wasn't, and then argued and attacked that version of Jesus. This is what the, religi- re- what the religious leaders tried to do with Jesus when he claimed that those who keep his words will never see or taste death. That's a bold statement that Jesus makes. And the religious leaders, in responding to this, said this in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? So the religious leaders could not comprehend what Jesus was saying in this moment. They they, they were so set in their own ways and their own traditions... And their own ways of thinking that they couldn't even fathom that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah in their presence. They wouldn't allow Jesus to challenge or to disrupt their preconceived ideas of what truth is, of what the scriptures are. They wouldn't allow Jesus to challenge their perspectives. And I think this same phenomenon is at play in the church today, not not by and large per se, But we see it both in and outside the church. And so sure, we we may have an interest in Jesus, this quasi-interest in him. We like some things that he has said. We value his wisdom and instruction. but, But at the end of the day, he's still just a voice that speaks into our life and who fits into our preferences, our perspectives, and our positions, rather than forming our preferences, perspectives, and positions. It's common to find skeptics or, or people who are maybe spiritually curious say something like this, I like what Jesus says, I like much of his teaching, but, but to claim and to accept and to receive the fact that he is God or the Messiah, that's, that's a harder pill to swallow. And I think that there are people in the church who, even if they don't admit it, functionally believe that same thing. I like a lot of what Jesus says, but I get a little bit uncomfortable and queasy and sick to my stomach when I hear Jesus talk about being God and divine. And so if we have made Jesus out to be someone whose words have eternal value, but is himself not eternal then we are not following or believing in Jesus. And we should be very clear and honest with ourselves about that. Because Jesus claimed to not simply be a prophet. He did not simply claim to be a good moral teacher or even a divinely inspired person. He claimed to be God. And so if we are going to accept Jesus for who he is, we must accept him in, its, in his totality. And while that claim that Jesus is God, while that clearly makes people outside the church uncomfortable, I think it also makes people inside the church uncomfortable. And we should be honest with ourselves in how we respond to the fullness of who Jesus says that he is. Do we, and so I'm speaking to to those of us who would identify as followers of Jesus, do we actually believe what we believe about who Jesus has made himself out to be? Do we actually believe what we believe about who Jesus has made himself out to be? I think oftentimes, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but it can be the case that we tend to tolerate or maybe even look past some things that Jesus has said about his divinity in order to still hold on to some semblance of a relationship with him. We, we kind of ignore those things. And like in this moment, we kind of view Jesus as the weird uncle of our family, Everybody has a weird uncle, weird, weird relative of some kind. If you don't know who it is, it's you, just to be clear. But, but, but here's the thing. We all have that relative who shows up at Thanksgiving and says weird, crazy things that we either roll our eyes at or just pretend that we didn't hear. And, and we do so because we love them. We're not at a point that we're ready to disown this person. Like, they're our family, but like, I feel really weird when Uncle So and so or Aunt What's Her Name shows up to Thanksgiving and talks about all these conspiracy theories or how they met Bigfoot on their third alien abduction. Like, you just feel really weird talking to them, but you're not yet ready to disown them from your family. And here's my question Is that how we functionally relate to Jesus? That we like him and we know we're supposed to love him. And there are things that he says that we partially agree with, but there are other things that we just feel really uncomfortable with. Is Jesus just our weird relative, who we like spending time with occasionally, and who we know we're supposed to love, but we get really uncomfortable when he starts talking about how he's the son of God? If we are going to make Jesus out to be someone, we need to consider who Jesus made himself out to be. And John is very clear. John records for us what is, what is probably the most emphatic and explicit declaration of Jesus' identity as God in all of the Gospels. In John 8, verse 57 and 15, through 59, we read these words. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now we read that. We're like, well, that escalated quickly. Like all of a sudden, like they're just kind of having this kind of banter back and forth. And now there's a potential murder that's about to take place. Like what just happened? Where did we go? And so we read that. And so again, it it feels like it's escalated, but, but it's actually... This may sound very weird. It's actually a very appropriate and expected response if Jesus is saying the things that he's saying, and it's not true. If Jesus is just, I mean, because the statement that Jesus made, he is saying that he is God and that he is the God of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation. He is Yahweh. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is ascribing to himself the very name that God introduced himself by when he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 and told him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. In fact, in Exodus 3, really quickly, excuse me, Exodus 3, we read these words. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This name that Jesus gives here in John 8 is an echoing of that name of God. And the Jewish leaders are very familiar with Exodus 3. And so the reason they pick up stones to stone Jesus is because this man who is standing before them as flesh and blood is claiming to be the eternal, infinite God of creation. And they respond by wanting to murder him, to put him to death, and in some ways, rightly so. Because if Jesus was just some backwoods religious fanatic who claimed to not only be sent from God, but claim to be God himself, then the religious leaders would be justified in their outrage and in their objections to Jesus. Maybe not to the extent of violence and and racial slurs, but, but some kind of response is warranted if Jesus said the things that he said and it wasn't true. I mean, how do we respond to people like this? We, we've seen people throughout history who have claimed to be God, and we have properly labeled them as deranged or even dangerous. L- let me illustrate it this way. Think about this. So, so like, think of election season. I was like, ah, like, oh, why'd you just ruin this moment? But think of election season for a second, and imagine a, an, a campaign ad of a potential candidate who claims that they wrote the Constitution. And and more than that, they actually claimed that they are, that every founding father is subservient to them. And then the campaign ad ends by this person saying, even Thomas Jefferson looked to my day and was glad to see it. Like we would rightly conclude that that person is deranged and possibly dangerous and a threat to our culture, our society, our democracy. In the same way, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, We must either receive Jesus for who he claims to be, or we should unequivocally declare him to be deranged, dangerous, or demonic, or all three. There is no neutral ground. There is no in-between here. Jesus has not left us with an option of being ambivalent toward him. Who do we make Jesus out to be? Uh, Bono, the, the lead singer of U2, who's also a follower of Jesus, um, he, there's, there was a, this long interview that he participated in that actually turned into a book. Uh, there's the book here. And he speaks to this very issue. And I want us to listen to the words of, of St. Bono of the Joshua Tree here uh, from this interview. Listen to what he says. This is a longer quote here. The secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet. Obviously a very interesting guy had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets. But actually Christ says, no, I'm I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm I'm saying I'm God in the flesh. And then people say, no, 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 please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take, but not the Messiah because you know we're, we're gonna have to crucify you if you say that. And he goes on, no, no, I actually am the Messiah. And at this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and saying, oh my God, he's going to keep saying this. And so what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, God incarnate, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. And the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's a little little far-fetched. So the question remains for all of us, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, is who do we make Jesus out to be? Each and every one of us, without exception, must give some kind of answer and response to this question, who do we make Jesus out to be? Not simply because of the magnitude of his impact culturally, historically, etc. But what I would add is that this is a matter of life and death. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we should consider his words and have some view of him. And I believe it is a matter of life and death, because look at what Jesus declared in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And so as you hear those words, I mean, that's a bold statement. That's not just the statement of a good moral teacher. It's an audacious claim. And so what I want you to do, just, just as you heard those words, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. How do those words sit with you? How do you feel in your body, in your mind, in your heart? Like, how do you respond and receive those words? Are they a comfort to you? Do you see them as crazy? Or are they just of no consequence? How do you receive these words from Jesus? Because he has not left us with the option of being neutral toward him. He is either God in the flesh who holds the power of life and death, or he is a deluded demon that should have been put to death. That's really what this means. I don't say that to be shocking. I say that to communicate the options Jesus gives us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, here is my closing question to you to consider. Have you made Jesus out to be whom he has made himself out to be? Have you made Jesus out to be whom he has made himself out to be? Or do we find ourselves picking and choosing from Jesus what we find to be convenient to our lifestyles, to our perspectives, to our preferences and opinions? Or are we fully living our lives surrendering to the fullness of who he has made himself out to be? That he is the God of creation, that he is the redeemer of the world, that he is the defeater of death. Who do we make Jesus out to be? Is he actually the Messiah? Is he I am? Or is he the weird uncle whom we like some parts of him, but feel really uncomfortable with the rest of what he says? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, my question for you is this. I want you to to be sure, or if you're unsure about what you believe about Jesus— Here is my closing question for you. Are you sure it is Jesus that you're rejecting? Is it possible that that the the Jesus you have walked away from, the Jesus that you have rejected, or maybe someone that you love who has walked away or rejected Jesus, is it possible that you've walked away from Jesus, not because you have, have, have tried him and wanted nothing to do with him, But because somewhere along the line, you made Jesus out to be, or somebody else made Jesus out to be, someone that is contrary to the Jesus of the Gospels. I've said this before several times, but one of my fears as a pastor isn't just that people would walk away from Jesus. That is a fear. That is a concern that that weighs heavy on my heart. But my greater fear is that there would be people who would walk away from Jesus for the wrong reasons. That they would be walking away from a caricature of Jesus, a distorted version of Jesus, some kind of Jesus that is not actually aligned with the Jesus of the Gospels. And so what I'm saying to you, if, if, that, if that is what you identify with, if you resonate with that question, here's, here's what I would say to you. Would you be willing to at least look again? Would you be willing to at least listen closely and let Jesus speak for himself? Don't let tradition, don't let your, your imagination or some kind of woundedness, and I don't want to minimize that, don't let those things determine who Jesus is. Would you be willing to hear his words in the scriptures? Would you be willing to journey with his people in the church? Would you be willing to encounter his presence in prayer and respond to his love and worship and honestly ask the question, who have I made Jesus out to be? because he has come to make you out to be his very own. Jesus has come to not simply declare who he is, but he has come lovingly and profoundly come to tell us and declare who we are. And and part of that news is a sad and broken news. It is a news that we are broken sinners, that we are dead, And that we have no hope in this world apart from Him. But the good news is, as great as our desperate state is, it is not so great that His love and redeeming power cannot restore. And so what I want us to consider in Jesus is the fact that He has come to make you into something new. To call you His very own by loving you, forgiving you, redeeming you, and calling you unto Himself. Who do we make Jesus out to be? My hope and my prayer is that he would be found by us as the eternal God whose very words keep us from seeing and tasting death itself. Amen? Who do we make Jesus out to be? There's a question for all of us to consider. May we find him as the one who is, the one who holds power over life and death. May it be so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this moment that I believe your spirit is using to bring a sense of conviction in my heart, at least. I cannot speak for the hearts of my brothers and sisters and friends in this room, but what I believe is that your spirit is working among us and desires to enliven within us and to reveal to us the truth of who Jesus truly is. And so, Lord, I do ask for any any false, distorted views of the Lord Jesus that we have adopted, that we have created, that have been hoisted upon us, would you cast them away, Lord? Would you remove these clouds of doubt and darkness and deceit so that we might see and behold and delight in the true Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is God himself? And so, Lord, I ask that you would do this work in us, that we might see him and know him, that we might find life in him and find in him the only way in which we can go through death and only experience it as a shadow. And so, Lord, would you make yourself known to us for our good and for your glory? Draw those of of, of us who are far from you near, and those who are near to you, would you draw them nearer still? Would you do this by the power of your love and grace through the Lord Jesus and his Spirit? We pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.